Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. Well, welcome to today at Celebration Online. We're so glad that you've come to worship with us today. And I know you've already been encouraged by the worship that you've experienced. Today, I want you to take your Bible or your Bible app and turn with me to the book of Ruth and the fourth chapter. Ruth chapter four is our scripture passage for today. And by the way, I want to remind you that you can actually find that scripture passage if you'll go to webcc.info and download the sermon guide, the study guide. This passage of scripture is right there along with the study notes. For six weeks, we've been in a series in the book of Ruth titled Facing New Challenges. And in this series, we've been learning from the story of Ruth and from the other characters in this uh, book of the Bible. We've been learning about how to, how to overcome the famine times in our lives, how to overcome bad decisions that others make that impact our lives. We've been learning how to overcome lo- the loss, loss and grief in our lives, how to, how to find work and how to do excellent work in our lives. We've been learning from the story of Ruth about dating and courtship and about marriage. We learned about marriage last week. And, and now we're in the last part of this. We're going to be learning today about parenting. Now, last week we saw where Boaz redeemed and married Ruth. By the way, uh, how would you have described Boaz before he met and married Ruth? The answer is ruthless. That's how he was. I've been waiting the whole series just to tell you, give you that line right there. Well, that's where we pick up with today's scripture passage. Ruth chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. The Bible says, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. What an accolade that was for Ruth. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. In our text, we find Ruth and Boaz becoming parents. I wonder how many parents do we have here today? I have a couple of parents here with us today. And we find Naomi becoming a grandparent. Now, I want to tell you, if you're a parent, it's even better when you become a grandparent. I tell people that grandchildren are the great reward that God gives you for not killing your own kids when they're teenagers. Uh, Make it through till you get to the grandparenting stage in life. Now, it was tough being a parent back during the time of Ruth and Boaz. They didn't have hospitals with delivery units in them uh, when the baby was due. They didn't have doctors to deliver the babies. They didn't have daycares to put the children in or schools to take the children to. They didn't have grocery stores or department stores to shop in. They didn't have microwaves to heat up the meals when you needed meals on a quick basis. They didn't have cars to transport their children to ball games or to dance practices. Uh, They didn't have uh, YouTube to serve as a nanny for their kids. Did you know that YouTube is now the number one nanny for children and parents in their world today? It was rough being a parent in Ruth and Boaz's time. But I also want to hasten to say that it's tough being a parent in our day and time, especially during this year of the COVID-19 pandemic. How many of you uh, who have children in your home, you've discovered this has probably been your toughest year ever as a parent, having children at home all the time. 
rather than sending them off to daycare, sending them off to school, and having to be an educator to your children. And then being in the same house 24-7 uh, with those you thought you loved most has really caused a lot of strain and a lot of struggle. I mean, I'm hearing it from parents all the time this year. It causes some parents to wonder, why did I ever have these kids in the first place? Now, here's what I, want, here's what I know from personal experience and from observing what's happening in the world around us. It's a challenge. It's a great challenge to be parents in our day and time. I also know that in the crazy times we're going through, when we tend to be more irritable, more stressed out, more fussy, all those kinds of things, we have to be as loving and patient with our children as our, as our Heavenly Father is with us. That might be something you want to write down and put on the refrigerator or in the dash of your car. We need to be as loving and patient with our children like as our Heavenly Father is with us. Now, you may not be a parent, but either you've been a parent or you're going to be a parent one day in the future, or you have close friends who, uh, or family members that are parents. Both they and you can benefit greatly from today's message about parenting. I love what my friend Daphne Kirk wrote in her book, in her book Reconnecting the Generation. She said, one generation is responsible for the next, and parents are responsible for their children. Uh, that's so really something that challenges us all, whether you have children or you don't have children. We're all responsible for uh, the emotional and spiritual and sometimes even physical welfare of the children around us. The truth is, God wants to equip parents to not just survive in our day and time, but to thrive as parents in our day and time. On Mother's Day our, uh, weekend, our primary scripture passage was from Psalm 128. And here's what we find in that passage of scripture. The psalmist said, How happy are those who fear the Lord. All who follow His ways, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How happy you will be. How rich your life will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine flourishing within your home. And look at all those children. There they sit around your table as vigorous and healthy as young olive trees. That is the Lord's reward for those who fear Him. The Bible says God wants to bless every family. He wants to bless every parent. He wants to bless the children. He wants them not just to survive. He wants us to thrive in our family relationships. So what are some steps we can take to help our families today survive and thrive? There's some answers in this passage of Scripture in the story of Ruth and Boaz and the son that God gave to them. To begin with, for families to survive and thrive, parents must remember that children are a gift from the Lord. That children are a gift from God. In, in Ruth 4, 13 and 14, we find how uh, Boaz took Ruth into his home as his wife. And he slept with her and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. Uh, the, the women were saying, This child is a blessing and reward from the Lord. You know, we have to always remember that children are a gift from God. Now, sometimes parents see their children as a gift from God. Sometimes they see their children as an irritant from the devil, especially when their children are causing them problems. But that's a wrong perspective. I think about uh, one woman one time who was struggling. She was in a department store. And in that department store, she was wrestling with four kids and they were causing her all kind of grief and stuff like that. And somebody stopped her and asked her, if you had it to do all over again, would you still have four children? And she thought about it for a moment. She said, I think so. Just not the same ones. <laughs> I'm telling you, every parent has felt like that at some time or another in their life. And they're going to feel like that, but we always have to remember what the Scriptures teach us. It says in Psalm 127, 3, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Now, while children are a gift from God, 
We, we, and since they are a gift from God, we need to treat them as, as, as if they are a gift from God. We need to affirm them all the time, uh, praising our children for who they are. And we need to appreciate them, praising our children for what they've done. They need to hear from us all the time that we consider them to be a gift and a blessing from the Lord. The Bible says this in Colossians 3.21. Fathers, don't aggravate your children. Other translations say, don't criticize your children. Don't demean your children. Don't aggravate your children. If you do, they will become discouraged and quit trying. A lot of kids have quit trying in our day and time because they've never heard words of affirmation like, you're special to me. I love you. I'm so proud of you. Look at what you've accomplished. You're a gift from God to me. Uh, they, they, they haven't heard those kinds of words of affirmation from their parents. One time, a man, an elderly man, was trying to tell his wife that he was proud of her, but you know they both struggled with hearing. And he said to his wife, "Honey, I want you to know I'm proud of you." She said, "Aunt, what did you say?" He said, "I want you to know I'm proud of you." She said again, "Aunt, what did you say?" So he raised his voice and said, "I want you to know I'm proud of you." She said, "Yeah, and I'm tired of you too." <laughs> you know, sometimes we might think we're affirming the children around us, but they may hear it differently. They may hear that we're critiquing them or criticizing them or being negative about them. And we don't need to be like that. We need to affirm them and appreciate them. Well, listen, one of the things that robs a child of their sense of security is, is not hear, receiving affirmation from their parents. And by the way, we not only need to affirm our children, we need to affirm their other parent as well. One of the things that also robs a child of their sense of security is hearing their mom or dad talk bad about their other parent. Listen, even if you are divorced from your children's parents, strive not to say negative things about him or her. The Bible says, let everything that comes out of your mouth be an encouragement to those that hear it. Some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, I, I just can't do that. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know what they did to me. The Bible says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So learn how to be a affirmer of your children and an affirmer of their parents as well. For families to survive and thrive, parents must remember our children are a gift from God. But here's the second thing. Parents must also walk in renewed strength. Let's go back to our story of Ruth and Boaz and their child. The women of Bethlehem are again talking to Naomi, the grandmother. And listen to what they say in verse 15. May he, this child, restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. They were talking about Naomi. Uh, along with Ruth and Boaz, having her energy and strength restored because of the birth of this child. Now, when we think about having children, we don't think about uh, a restoration of energy and joy. We think about uh, a loss of energy, uh, a loss of uh, loss, sometimes a loss of joy. Uh, how many of you discovered that kids can drain you of your energy? Uh, yeah, they can really do that. <laughs> they can drain you of your energy. In fact, studies show that new parents face up to six years of sleep depri deprivation. In fact, I, what I hear is that exhaustion is oftentimes a number one complaint of new parents. I wonder how many watching this uh, service today are struggling with exhaustion right now. We've had the most difficult year ever. From the COVID-19 pandemic to losses of jobs and losses of income to, uh, to racial and political division in our nation to episodes of social injustice to hurricanes coming our way. We've been in the cone of air six times this year during hurricane season. I mean, people are just mentally, emotionally and physically exhausted. Former Olympic star Michael Phelps did an interview with ESPN. And here's what he said. He said, for me personally, it's probably been the toughest stretch I've gone through. There's so many uncertainties. He then said so many questions. When is it going to end? What will life look like when this is over? Am I doing everything I can to be safe? Is my family safe? 
He said, it drives me insane. I'm used to traveling, competing, and meeting people. This is all just craziness. My emotions are all over the place. I'm always on the edge. I'm always defensive. I'm triggered so easily. Does that sound like where you've been in your life during these past six or seven months? He said, then he says, this is the most overwhelmed I've ever felt in all of my life. Now, let me tell you, whether you have children or don't have children, that's where a lot of people are right now, 2020, in our day and time. We have survived much, but this pandemic time, hurricane threats and other issues have taken its toll on us mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally, in all kinds of ways in our lives. So, so what do you do when you struggle with mental and physical and emotional and spiritual exhaustion? What do you do? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And here the Bible says, those who wait on the Lord. Other translations say those who trust in the Lord. But those who wait or trust on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will soar with high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. He said the key when you're dealing with exhaustion is to learn how to wait on the Lord or trust in the Lord. And when we do, he will renew our strength. That word renew there is a Hebrew word kaleth. It means to exchange someone else's strength for our strength, to exchange the Lord's strength for our strength. When we wait on the Lord, he exchanges his strength and his power for our strength and power. Now, here in South Louisiana, during hurricane season, you almost always have to have a generator on hand or access to a generator because who knows when the power may go out. And now, when you have a generator and a storm comes along and knocks out the electricity, you lose power. But if you've got a generator, you can turn that power right back home. The circumstances of life, the struggles of life, the conflicts of life, the difficulties of life may take away your power, but, but if you are waiting on the Lord and trusting the Lord, that power can come right back on in your life and even better ways in your life. So what does it take to access God's power during these difficult, exhausting times of life? Uh, the, the, the Isaiah 40, 31 says you got to learn how to wait on the Lord and trust in the Lord. Now let me just tell you something quickly. Number one, waiting on the Lord involves looking to Him for our peace, our provision, our direction, for our help, and our looking to the Lord, not to others. It says in Psalm 62, 1, I wait quietly for the, before God, for my victory comes from Him. Not from some political candidate, not from some job uh, offer, not from anything else or anyone else. My, my victory comes from who? From the Lord. We've got to learn how to look to the Lord. And then waiting on the Lord involves listening to Him. So we can have direction for our lives and direction for our families. It says in Proverbs 8, 34, the Lord says, Joyful are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. So let me ask you a question. How good are you at listening to others? My wife Vicki says, I struggle at times when it comes to listening to her. And sometimes she's right. Sometimes she'll say, you're not listening to me, are you? I say, yes, I am. What do you say? Now, one time an old man was thinking that his wife was losing her hearing. And he talked to his doctor about it because he was concerned about it. And the doctor said, well, here's a simple way you can test how she's doing with her hearing. Speak to her in a normal tone of voice from another room and see if she's able to hear you. And if she doesn't, uh, then go closer, 10 feet closer, and then speak to her again. And, go to, and then finally you'll figure out just how much she's lost in her hearing. So one day here, his wife's in the kitchen. He's sitting in the living room in his easy chair. And he asks her, what are we having for dinner, honey? No response whatsoever from him. He's about 40 feet away from her. So he walk, gets up and walks toward the kitchen, gets 10 feet closer. And he asks, what are we having for dinner tonight? 
Still no response from his wife. Walks another uh, 10 feet. He's about 20 feet from her. Ask her, what are we having for dinner tonight? No response. Walks another 10 feet. He's about 10 feet from her. Ask her, what are we having for dinner tonight? Still no response. Gets right up beside her and asks her, honey, what are we having for dinner tonight? She says, I've already told you four times we're having chicken tonight. <laughs> oh, man, man, it was his hearing. That was messed up. Uh, listen, I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle to take time to listen to others. And sometimes I struggle to take time to listen to the Lord. But when I do take time, when I make it a priority to listen to the Lord, to wait on the Lord, He gives me the direction and strength that I need to overcome the stressful circumstances and situations and relationships in, our, in my life. So uh, looking to Him and uh, waiting on the Lord and trusting Him involves looking to Him and listening to Him. It also involves leaning on Him for our protection and provision. It says in Psalm 37 verse 9, The wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, will possess the land. That verse reminds us that when we develop the ability to wait on the Lord and to trust in the Lord, He will provide all that we need in our lives and He will enable us to overcome the greatest obstacles and opposition we will experience in our lives. I'm telling you, our lives, our homes, our families, our relationships, everything would be filled with so much more peace and power and joy and provision and protection if we would just learn the secret of waiting on the Lord and trusting in the Lord. The truth is, most of us are not good at waiting. Is there anybody here who's good at waiting? Most of us are not good at waiting. I know because I watch people at traffic lights. You know, they're waiting for the green light to come. I watch people in elevators. They can't wait for the elevator. I watch how people speed out of the parking lot after the service right here. You know, people aren't good at waiting. But the Bible says waiting on the Lord and trusting the Lord is the key to exchanging God's strength for our strength, which, by the way, is the biggest and best stress reliever known to mankind. So what does it take to wait on the Lord and trust in the Lord? We've got to spend time with Him. We've got to spend time connecting with Him in prayer and worship and Bible reading and life group. And, and spending time with the Lord it energizes us, it strengthens us, it enables us to not only rise up to be the best we can be, but to be the best parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts that we can be for the children around us in our lives. The Bible says the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for His help. I, in my life, I've learned the only, thing waiting, the only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing I had waited on God. So we got to learn how to wait on the Lord. What are some, so ask yourself, what are some spiritual steps I need to take to better address the exhaustion in my life that's hindering my ability to give my best to my family? Here's the third thing for families to survive and thrive. Parents must create a culture of care. Let's go back to our scripture passage and the story of Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, and their child. The Bible says Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. Naomi was showing love and care for the baby that God had blessed Boaz and Ruth with. And her actions remind us that, that we don't just need to teach biblical principles to our family members, but we need to show them. We need to show them our love and our care for them, and we need to show them how to love the Lord as well. When it comes to our children, I've discovered this. I've discovered things are better caught than they are taught. They're more caught than they are taught. We, we, we get frustrated because we think our children aren't listening. We ought to get even more worried about the fact that they're listening all the time. How we act, what we say, how we react to circumstances and situations in our lives. That's why the Bible says we're to constantly be a spirit-filled, God-honoring, and positive example to our family members, especially to our children. You know, one of the struggles that many children and teens have in our day and time is a, is a lack of self-worth. Many children feel insignificant and worthless. They feel like their lives have little or no value. 
Now, the root cause of most poor self-images reflects back to how we were treated as by our parents. So much of what we do as parents sometimes, as adults sometimes, tears down our child's self-image and sense of self-worth. Oftentimes, we're caught by our children in the middle of the busyness of our day or our own frustrations, and we say and do things that have a negative impact on their emotional psyches. I often hear parents say negative things to their children or negative things about their children. It causes me to cringe inwardly and causes me to wonder how those words are affecting those children. Let me give you some tips in dealing with your children so you can create a culture of care. Here's some things parents should never do. Never threaten your children. That's bullying. Never bribe your children. That decimates your authority with them. Never lose your temper with your children. That shows that you lack self-control so they can, they can live without self-control. Never refuse to explain to your children. They'll go elsewhere for explanations and you'll be left on the outside in the future. Never be sarcastic to your children. Never embarrass your children. That's the fastest way to demolish a relationship. Never dash the dreams of your children. That's what creates uh, generation gaps. And, and try not to ever criticize your children. One psychiatrist said that if a child lives with constant criticism, he or she doesn't learn to respond appropriately. Instead, they learn to condemn themselves, to find fault with others. They learn to doubt their own judgment, disparage their own ability, distrust the intentions of others, and they, and they live above all with an expectation of doom's going to happen sooner or later. No wonder our children struggle in so many ways. So let me ask you. Have you ever been guilty of threatening or bribing your children or losing your temper with them? Have you ever been guilty of being sarcastic with your children or harshly criticizing them? If you haven't, I've got to confess to you, I have. I have. But don't be like that. In Ephesians 6, 4, Paul said, don't be like that. Encourage your children. The number one thing our children desire is love and affection. I've discovered every child wants to be hugged on, kissed on, loved on in godly ways. They want to be encouraged, especially by the most influential people around them in their lives. Now, you know, I love Christian bumper stickers. And some of my favorite Christian bumper stickers are a lot of kneeling will keep you in good standing. I like that one. I like the one that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. That's a good one to have when you cut somebody off in traffic right there. Uh, one of them I like is uh, give God what's right, not what's left. Another one I like is never give the devil a ride. He'll always want to drive. I bet lots of people give a testimony about that one. Probably my, one of my favorite bumper stickers Ask a question. Simply ask, have you hugged your child today? Have you hugged your child today? A lot of mothers and fathers need to learn that principle and practice it. Far too many children grow up feeling unloved, unwanted, unneeded, uncared for. They're made to feel like a nuisance to their parents rather than a gift from God to their parents. Dads especially, I think, need to abandon that be, that be tough attitude that inhibits them from ever hugging or encouraging or affirming or, or telling their children that they love them. One time, by the way, those children are watching you all the time. One time a pastor was doing some carpentry work and a boy stopped by to watch him as he was doing the carpentry work. And after a while, the pastor took a break and asked the boy, are you trying to learn how to do carpentry work? And the boy said, no, I'm trying to learn what a pastor says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> well, let me tell you. They're watching the pastors, but even more, they're watching their parents to see how if they really love God, if they really love them, and if they really are who they say they are. That's one reason Jesus said, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know, two young boys moved to a small town in Missouri many years ago. Their dad was a pastor. A few days after the pastor and his family moved to this small town, the boys found a stray dog wandering around. And so naturally, they brought that stray dog home. That's what boys do. The stray dog was black, but it had a few streaks of white in its tail. 
Several days later, a family came by and said, they, we're looking for our dogs. They're looking for a, a black dog with white streaks in his tail. The father was interacting with the family, and the boys heard the conversation. So quickly, they got some black shoe polish and covered up the tail of the dog so it was completely black. And, and so when they were asked, asked to bring the dog out to, in front of the, of the other family, they brought the dog out, and it was a black dog, but no white streaks in the tail. And so the father, the father knew that it had white streaks in the tail. He was a pastor, but he said to the other family, he said, obviously this dog is not yours because it doesn't have any white streaks in its tail. That day that pastor dad lied for and covered for his sons. Well, the dad and his sons kept the dog, but later on, the dad left, lost his boys. The names of the two boys were Frank and Jesse James, who went on to become some of the most notorious criminals in American history. Listen, make sure, if you're going to act right before anybody, make sure you act right in front of your children. Create that culture of care and godliness. And then for families to survive and thrive, uh, parents must make disciples of their children. Going back to our text, Ruth 4.17, the neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Now the name Obed means servant of God. It was their intention for this son that God gave them to become a servant of God, a follower of God. Now, let me tell you, you need to start off, if you want your children to become servants of God, you need to start off at a young age because 75% of people in the world who become Christians become a Christian before the age 15. Author and preacher Dale Partridge says, the chance of your child becoming famous is 1 in 572,000. The chance of your child becoming a professional musician is 1 in 297,000. The chance of your child becoming a professional athlete is 1 in 120,000. But the chance of your child standing before Jesus at the judgment is 1 in 1, 100%. You see, the same time we put in preparing our children for things that could happen, we ought to put our, that same amount of time and more into that which will happen, standing before the Lord. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, Direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. Another word for direct is the word train. Here's how it reads in the ESV version. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. That word train there is a Hebrew word, kanak. It means to initiate, to dedicate, or to train. Now, parents should always be looking for opportunities to train their children. We need to train them in academics. We need to train them in the arts. We need to train them in athletics. We need to train them to be honest towards others and respectful towards others and encouraging towards others. We need to train them about finances. We sure need to train them how to drive in our day, in our day and time. But we also need to train them in the ways of the Lord. Now, for our children to become Christians, we must portray to them that we believe in Jesus. We must proclaim to them that, we, that they need Jesus, and we must pray for them to receive Jesus. Here's some letters some children wrote to their pastor. One child wrote, Dear Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he never met my big sister. Another child wrote, Dear Pastor, I want to bring my dog to church. She's just a mutt, but she is a good Christian. Another child wrote, Dear Pastor, I'm sorry I couldn't put any more money than I put into the offering baskets because my father hasn't given me a raise in my allowance. If you'll preach a sermon about parents giving their children a raise in allowance, it will help the church to get more money. <laughs> Man, some kids, they're so smart, aren't they? One child wrote, Dear Pastor, I would like to go to heaven someday because I know my big brother won't be there. Now, I could comment on the big brother situation, but the fact is, every child wants to go to heaven someday. 
And so the best time to reach our children and win them to the Lord is when they are young. I'm often asked, what if that prayer of commitment to the Lord is not genuine or it doesn't stick? Let me take a poll. How many of you became a follower of Jesus Christ before 15 years of age or when you were a child or a teenager? Almost everybody in this room. Let me tell you, most people, 75% of people who commit their lives to the Lord do so before the age of 15. They may wander off for a while as they explore the world, but if they really entered into a relationship with Jesus, they'll come back to the Lord and begin walking with the Lord. Now, don't push them or rush them, but if you will talk to them about the Lord, if you will read and explain the Bible to them, if you will bring them to church where they'll be exposed to godly adults and teenagers and other children, who will, if you will get, they, they will grow up knowing they have a Savior they can pray to, a Savior they can turn to, a Savior they can get help from when they inevitably need help in their lives. You see, one day, you won't be able to be there to protect your children. One day, you won't be able, there, able to be there to give direction to your children. But if they know the Lord... They can turn to the Lord and pray to the Lord, receive direction and help and assurance from the Lord. I'm telling you, the best thing you can ever give your children is to put their hands into the hands of the Lord. All kind of ways to do that. People ask me, Pastor, how can I pass on my faith to my children? Well, you can do that, number one, by reading the Bible or Bible stories to them. Or number two, by bringing them to church regularly. You know, if only mom comes to church with her children, 15% of those kids will stay in church when they're adults. If only dad comes to church with their children, 55% of those children will come to church when they're adults. That shows you the impact of a father taking the lead. If both mom and dad bring their children to church, 72% of those children will attend church when they become adults. But if neither parent goes to church, 0.06% of kids will attend church when they become adults. You need to consistently bring your children to church. You need to talk to them about who the Lord is to you and what He's done for you. You need to share your conversion story with them and other stories with them. You need to watch Christian-themed movies with them and dialogue afterwards. You need to ask them about their spiritual beliefs and relationship with the Lord. You need to make it a, a goal of your life to make, lead them to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then finally, for families to survive and thrive, parents must leave a godly legacy. The Bible says that Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. Who was David? He was a slayer of the giant Goliath. He was a young man who became a military hero there in Israel. He eventually became the king of Israel, the greatest king that nation ever had. And also, this name David became a forerunner of Jesus Christ himself. In fact, when you look at the genealogy of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 1, it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. You see, Ruth and Boaz's story reminds us that sometimes our greatest contribution to the kingdom of God and to the world is not what we do, but who we raise, who we invest in in our lives. Jack Taylor wrote a book titled One Home Under God. He said, Parents, yours is a serious vocation. If you shirk it, the expense will be high and will continue for generations. To do the job as it should be done will take more than your money, more than your time, more than your planning. It will take you. It will take you totally involved and totally available, not only to your family, but also to God. It's not a job you can do by yourself. Let me say it again. It's not a job you can do well by yourself. You cannot love and train your children without God in the manner in which the task requires. You must be totally and completely surrendered to the Lord if you're to be the kind of parent that God wants you to be and the kind of parent that your child or children need for you to be. And so the best thing you can do for your children is to give yourself wholeheartedly, completely, totally to the Lord. And I want to talk with you about that in just a moment because I'm telling you that's the very first key to thriving 
and is a parent and thriving in your family. And I said earlier, everybody should benefit from this message because either you have children or you've had children or you know people have children. But the truth of the matter is, there are people who are going to be listening to this message who've never had children. They've never given birth to children, but they are spiritual fathers and mothers to children or to young adult, you know, teenagers or young adults around them. And just their words, their actions, their affirmations can make so much of a difference. At the beginning of this pandemic, Vicki and I were supposed to go to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And I canceled the trip at the last moment because I wanted to be here with our people as we began the COVID-19 pandemic. But I'm looking forward to getting there, up there to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge. That's a beautiful part of our country. I remember reading a story about another pastor and his wife who were dying in a restaurant there in Pigeon Forge. And an older man came into the restaurant. And he was greeting people, walking from table to table, greeting people. And, and obviously he knew a lot of people. A lot of people knew him. And he came over to their table and asked, said to them, I've never seen you guys before. Where are you from? And they told him where they were from. He said, what do you do? And the guy said, I'm a pastor. And the, and, and the older man said, let me tell you a pastor story. You know when people tell you that as a pastor. He said, let me tell you a pastor story. He said, I grew up in a small town here in Tennessee. But in that small town, I was the only boy who didn't have a father. I'm not going to go into the details of that, but my mom had gotten pregnant out of wedlock, and I was the only boy who didn't have a father in our small town. And because of that, everybody picked on me. Everybody made fun of me all the time. He said, I didn't have any friends. But I had a desire for God, so I started going to the Baptist church in our hometown. He said, I didn't want people to know that I was there. I didn't want to talk to people, and so I would wait until the, the sermon started. I would slip in at, at, when the sermon started. I listened to the sermon, and when the pastor would close at the end of the sermon, I would slip out before anybody could see me. He said, but one day, I was so impacted by the, the worship and the sermon. He said, the pastor not only finished the sermon and finished praying, but he was at the back door before I exited to greet me. He said, as I walked out, the pastor said, young man, I've never seen you here before. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, well, what's your name? And by the way, uh, who's your daddy? He said, that was the question I never wanted to hear. I know how to answer that question. He said, but then the pastor said, I know who's your father. You're a child of God. And we're so glad to have you here today. And the older man said to that couple, that pastor's words that day transformed my life. Well, he walked away and the pastor asked somebody, who was that guy? Everybody seemed to know. He said, that was Ben Hooper, twice elected governor of the state of Tennessee. Grew up without a father. But when somebody said, you're a child of God, transformed his life and made him into a person of significance. Our words, our actions, all that we do can make a difference in our children and the lives of others around us. So what's the Lord saying to you through this message? Just a few moments, we're going to pray, a few moments, we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help strengthen our family relationships. Before we do, think about how this message applies to you. Maybe you need to be reminded that children are a gift from God. Maybe you, need to, maybe you feel exhausted and tired. and You need renewed strength in your life. You need to learn how to wait on the Lord and trust in the Lord so you can mount up with wings as eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Maybe you need to do a better job of creating a culture of love and care and godliness in your home, in your relationship. Maybe you need to... Maybe you need to Become a discipler of others, your children and of others. Maybe you want to live, leave a godly legacy. If any of those things relate to you, I want you to pray with me just to make that commitment of your life to it because God wants to use you to make a difference in the lives of children, teens, young adults, in your family, in our church family, and all around the world. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for this story of Ruth that we've learned so much from in these last couple of weeks. 
We thank you that we've learned how to make it through the famine times in our lives. How we've learned how to overcome grief and loss in our lives. We've learned how to really find work and be a good worker. We've learned how to date and court and those kinds of things. We've learned about what marriage is all about, what parenting is all about. Help us to remember the lessons we've learned and apply them to our lives. But help us most of all to learn. We need to surrender our lives to you and then encourage others to do the same. In fact, right now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you, have you fully, completely surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? Do you sense the presence of the Lord in your life? If you're not sure that you do, I want you to pray with me right now. You say, what do I pray? Just pray this prayer and really mean it. Pray, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And today I'm asking you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins and begin the process of transforming my life. Take away my shame and my guilt, my hurt and my pain and fill my life with your presence, your peace, your love, your joy, and the power to change. Today, I want you, Jesus, to become the Savior and the Lord of my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to webcc.info and go to the My Decision tab. And if you pray with me to receive Jesus as your Savior, check off, I pray with a pastor. If you need to recommit your life to the Lord, Especially to be in a godly parent or grandparent. You do that. Take that step. There may be other decisions you want, to, you want to make as well. And then I'd like for you to go to the prayer request tab and type in the names of your family members and how we can pray for them. We want to pray not only for you, but for your family members as well. And we will follow up and pray for them in the days ahead. In fact, let's pray right now. Lord, thank you so much for every person who's joined us for this online worship service. I pray that they would know how special they are to you and how much you love them and care for them and how you not only want to make a difference in their lives, you want to use them to make a difference in others' lives as well, especially in their family members. Give us a vision for that, a passion for that, the ability to do that and to put into practice the principles we've learned today from the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and their little child named Obed. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.